0: Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, I'm going to do something right quick, amen, I don't know if you've ever watched a video from Heritage, um, but that microphone sticking out of the side of my ear, every time I see it, I go, you know, I need to lower that thing, and all these years of video and services, I have forgotten to do it, so I remembered it this morning, thank you, Holy Spirit, amen, all right, Acts, the 17th chapter, amen, amen, I'll tell you what I'm going to do before I read the verses. I want to talk to you for a moment. And um, I know that you probably are well into your Bible reading plan for the year. And, and I certainly don't want to interrupt whatever system you may already be uh, you know, in, engaged in. Uh, I want you to stay on track, in other words. Um, I know a lot of times we make commitments in January that if we're not careful, we'll lose track of as the year unfolds. So I don't want to interrupt anything that you may have going. But um, I would like to encourage you, um, if you have some time, to set, set aside to read the book of Acts. And um, it's something that, that I love to do, and I, I love to do it for some reason early in the year. Uh, it just inspires me and encourages me um, to see how the church began, how the church grew, how um, God used so many people um, in so many different ways um, in the early days of, of, of the beginning of, of, of the kingdom of God and the, and the church growing. Uh, and, and so, you know, you see how the Lord would speak to somebody and tell them to go here, and then um, there would be folks who were going to one direction, and the, and the Holy Spirit would say, no, 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 don't go there right now, go here. And, and then all the different people that they would encounter. Um, uh, one guy had, you know, from Ethiopia, had real important man from Ethiopia, he had, stopped his chariot on the side of the road and basically in the middle of nowhere, and he was reading Isaiah and just crying out from his heart to understand it, and the Lord sent Philip on foot out in the middle of the desert um, to explain um, what he was reading in Isaiah about Jesus to him, the Ethiopian was born again, was baptized, and in other words, you just see these things happening, and I'm telling you, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, in other words, Father wants to use you and me in our day, in, in, in our time, in, in similar ways. What I call divine appointments. People that are stopped on the side of the road. People that that you know you would encounter as, as you progress through um, your day and through your week. And, um, but there was something else as I've made a journey once again through the book of Acts that really stood out at, to me this time. And that is all the different ways people responded to the Word of God. In other words, there were some who uh, just received the Word of God very quickly and and, and very humbly, and that Word began to work in their lives. There were places that the apostles would go to and preach, and and it seemed like the whole city almost would get get born again. Um, And then they would go to another city uh, down the road, and they'd try to kill them. Uh, very few people would respond. Very few people would believe. Very very few people um, would, would listen to the word, and so um, then they would move on to the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and and you know it begins, I guess, to to stir up a question in me that I've had before the Lord for a lot of years, and and that is, you know. What is the difference between the people who immediately and instantly almost receive the Word of God and those who resist it? You understand what I'm saying there? Um, some of you have family members, and, 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 and man, they, they could not be more open to the things of God, more ready to receive the things of God. Uh, and then other family members that, you know, just don't want to hear anything about it, don't want anything to do with it. Um, and so, you know, obviously as someone who's been given an assignment to, to teach and preach the word of God uh, to people, Amen. You want to, you know, try to understand, you know, what that mystery is and, and what that secret is, and, and I think there's, you know, lots of things that contribute to it. But let's, um, and I just want to give you one example of this. in In Acts chapter seventeen, uh, verse number one, it says, "Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and." Uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Now look at me for a moment. You you may know this already, but just in case you don't, um, Thessalonica is going to be the place where a church is established and Paul would later write letters to that church and those letters are known as 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. So this was the letter to the Thessalonians. Thessalonians lived in a place called Thessalonica. Let me get a drink of water here. So we says, uh, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths, reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So three Sabbaths would be three three weeks in a row, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Jews and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. Jason is where uh, Paul uh, was staying. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Jason has harbored them. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken uh, security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Now compare that to verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Look at me for a moment, okay? In case you hadn't figured out what's going on here. You had the temple in Jerusalem, but then you also had these places that were called synagogues. And because perhaps none of us, or if, if at all very few of us were ever raised Jewish, this, the terminology may not translate for you. So if we could maybe understand it this way, all right? There was the main temple, but then there were these individual houses of worship. Uh, in other words, people wouldn't go all the way into the temple, um, but they would go to their synagogue. If you have any Jewish friends, they they may still say to you, well, we're, we're going to synagogue today in the way that you would say we're going to church. So these synagogues were already established, and they were Jewish places of worship. But as Paul would travel, he would go to the local synagogue, the local building, if you will, and the people that gathered there. But instead of teaching Old Covenant Jewish traditions to them, he would preach Jesus to them. So here he is in another synagogue, this time in Berea. And um, so, again, let's go back to verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more fair-minded. The King James Version says they were noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. In that they received the word with all readiness and search the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. So do you see then the difference where he goes to one place and there are people who are born again, but, but there are others who oppose, resist, even become aggressive, and not necessarily here. But if you read in other places in Acts, they, they became violent uh, to try to uh, get these men to quit preaching Jesus as they were preaching Him. But now they go, if I could just say it this way, they just go down the road a little piece. Amen. And they go to this next city and, and, and you find the Bereans. And the Bible says of the Bereans that they were a fair-minded or a noble-minded people that they, they received the Word of God. Let me go back to that, that one verse because I think this is so critical. It's a word for you and me this morning. Verse 11, in that they received the Word of God with all readiness. They received it with readiness. How many times did you say around your house this morning, are you ready? Right? Right? In other words, we were getting ready. Honey, you ready? Time to go. You ready? Cry out to your children, hopefully in a very kind voice, right? Amen. (laughs) Are you ready? So the idea is that when you're ready, that means you're prepared. So it says that they received the word with all readiness, meaning there was an attitude or, or a mindset that was in place that was welcoming to what God had to say to them that was ready to receive what it was that the Holy Spirit was saying through these men. Now, I want to build on this for a moment, but I want to connect it to what I believe the Holy Spirit is going to have us to dig into, at least in the first part of 2018. And that is this concept of a new life resolution. A new life resolution. When the calendar turns over to a new year, We use that as an opportunity to make resolutions for what we're going to do different in response to the new year. Amen. But we're in a different position. We haven't just been given a new calendar. We haven't just been given a new set of 52 weeks, a new set of 365 days. We have, by the grace of God, been given a new life. So if a new year calls for a resolution or resolutions, how much more then does a new life call for resolutions? Amen. So in Philippians chapter 3, don't turn there yet, in Philippians chapter 3, we see what were in essence the Apostle Paul's new life resolutions, things that he resolved, things that he committed himself to, things that he determined, things that he purposed, amen? A lot of times in the classes I teach during the week, I use an expression, non-negotiables, amen? Your enemy is a relentless negotiator. Satan is trying to negotiate you into a less uh, uh, position, um, a a less uh, focus, what have you, Uh, than the one that you are aspiring to. He's trying to talk you into doing less. He's trying to talk you into giving less. He's trying to talk you into praying less. He's trying to talk you into backing down from things that you have committed yourself to. This is why I would encourage you this morning to establish in your life a list of non-negotiables. In other words, things that are not up for discussion. Things that are not up for debate. Things that that we're not negotiating anymore. This is what we're going to do. This is when we're going to do it. and, And we're not considering any other option. And so when it comes to non-negotiables, maybe as as we grow and as as we develop and as we mature, that that list, uh, you know, gets fairly long. But I would encourage you this morning to start with a very short list of non-negotiables. In other words, just a handful of things or less, five things or less, that are non-negotiables for you, In your life and things, husbands and wives, I would encourage you to establish some of those things for your family. Non-negotiables, this is what we're going to do. Because when we're challenged on these things, if we already have them nailed down, so to speak, then as long as it's not up for debate, and I don't mean discussion amongst the family, I mean from the enemy trying to talk you into something else, amen, um, then it makes it much easier to follow through on as those things are challenged. So the Apostle Paul established some non-negotiables. And I'm calling these things his new life resolutions. Things that he resolved to do differently moving forward in his life based upon the new life he received in Christ Jesus. So that's the bigger part of all of this. And of course, more than anything, what we see from the Apostle Paul is an attitude. We see a mindset we see a determined focus on his behalf, amen, that in spite of everything that was done to redirect that focus, he continued to follow through on those non-negotiables. Now, let's go back then to where I believe the Holy Spirit has us this morning. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 2, it says this, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. So this goes back to where we began this morning, and that is two people can hear the same message, and that message set one person free and another person almost as if they their life has not been affected or phased in the least bit. Two people, I've seen it over the years here at Heritage. Where family members sit beside one another in the same services, and some of those family members grow up and mature into the things of God, while others remain in the same place. Same family here in the same word, yet it profited one, but didn't profit or didn't seem to profit the other. And of course, we know that this is the case from our own experience. But here we have it. Confirmed, our experience is confirmed by the Word of God. Now, I want us to consider then this morning the importance of our attitude. And I know that a lot of times, you know, when a preacher talks to us about attitude, it's almost from the position of scolding us or, or, or rebuking us or at the very least challenging us. But there are some things that I believe we need to be consistently reminded of. And one of those things is the importance of our attitude. And attitude is not something that happens to us. Attitudes are things that are formed within us over time. And ultimately, please hear me, you can do things that will change your attitude. In other words, you're not the victim of an atti- of your attitude. So, to- When I say victim of it, obviously a negative attitude is going to have negative consequences in your life. But you, you can uh, direct your attitude. You can, with the help of, of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, um, experience a transition in your attitude. Jesus taught us in Matthew, the sixth chapter, that you determine what you treasure. I determine what I treasure. And he says that whatever you treasure, your heart will be connected to. So when we decide, as an act of our will, to make a certain thing a priority in our life, even if that thing is not something we necessarily uh, have a heart connected to, if we consistently set that as a priority in our lives, our attitude will grow to reflect that commitment. Our attitude will will go towards um, uh, committing itself and actually enjoying that thing that we make a priority in our lives. Amen. So the Bereans, the Bible said, receive the Word of God with readiness. With readiness. I'm going to talk to you this morning about a ready heart. A ready heart. Amen. A lot of times when we come to church, we, we do what we need to do to get ourselves physically ready. Do you understand what I mean by that? In other words, more than likely you brushed your teeth this morning. I hope you did. If not, somebody handed you a mint in the car on the way, right? In other words, there are certain things that we do to get our outward man prepared, our outward man ready to come to church. Amen. We're talking about they received the Word of God with readiness. That doesn't mean that they had taken a shower and brushed their teeth and combed their hair. The readiness that he's speaking of here is something internal, not just something external. He's talking about an attitude of their heart towards the Word of God. But now listen, please, this is important. These people had a readiness of heart to receive a word they had not heard yet. In other words, it it was a decision that they made before the message was preached that they were at least going to hear it out, amen, and consider it carefully in light of what the rest of the Bible had to say. Notice it says they received it with a readiness of heart, right? And then did what? They searched the Scriptures. Let me go back to it. Verse 11 They received the Word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. In other words, Paul brought a new message to them. Paul brought a fresh Word to them. Something that they had never heard before. Something that they had never been taught before. One of the things that we see in these other places where they rejected the Word is that their heart our mind was already made up that they were not going to hear it. They were not going to receive it. Are you listening to me? They were not going to change the way they had always done it. And nobody was going to come in there and preach something other than what they had heard uh, their whole lives. Never mind that the Scriptures supported the message. Never mind that if they had taken the time to hear what Paul had to say and gone back into the Old Testament, they would have realized that everything he said was truth. Everything he said was was based upon the Scriptures that they already held in their possession. But their attitude rejected it. And I'm offering to you this morning that they had rejected the message before they ever heard the message in the same way the Bereans received the message before they ever heard the message. Father is wanting to move us forward this year. Father is wanting to move your life forward this year. He's wanting to promote you. He's wanting to prosper you. He's wanting to protect you. I believe that. I believe that your 2018 can be the best year of your life. Amen. But so much of what we experience in life is based upon our willingness to hear Him and follow through on what it is that He is instructing us to do. In other words, the way Father God promotes us, the way He prospers us, the way He protects us, all of these things begin with His ability to speak to us and us receive the good news and then act on that, mix faith with that, and begin to walk that out in our lives. The Bereans' initial response to the Word of God was not, I've never heard this, Uh, what I've heard about Jesus is He was a nut, He was a quack, No, their initial response was, man, if this is true, then the Scriptures will bear it out and they begin to search the Scriptures diligently to see if it was true and sure enough, it was true. It was right. Towards the end of 2017, the Lord began to speak to us about a pathway we've never seen before. A pathway that was hidden not necessarily from you, but a pathway that has been hidden for you. A way that you've never been before. A a pathway that you've never traveled before. We get so set in our ways. We get so set in our routines. We were created to have dominion. When we don't have dominion in the way that God intended for us to have dominion, we try to substitute for that dominion by being in control. We try to control things because what we can control we feel like we can manage and what we can manage we feel like we can dominate or have dominion over until something comes along that we can't control through natural means and through our own resources and abilities and then we feel overwhelmed and start blaming God. You were created for dominion again one more time. The cheap substitute for dominion offered by the powers of darkness is not true dominion over the circumstances and situations and demonic forces of this world, but it's to control uh, the things that are going on in your life. And so, because we have become control freaks in so many ways, why do you think we worry? We worry about things that we don't feel like we can control. Amen. 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 feel like I need to spend a little time right here for a minute. Are you good? So we establish a routine because a routine increases this false confidence that we're in control of our lives because we have a pattern of, of, of doing things in life. And the older we get, the more set we get in that pattern, in that routine, in that, in that established, uh, you know, way of going about this thing called life. Because again, it gives us a sense of controlling our lives. The problem with that is our routines lock us into a certain level that until we allow God to upset that routine and change that routine, it's very difficult for us to grow beyond and rise up into the greater things that He has for us. You cannot effectively change your life without changing something you do on a daily basis. Amen. What's the leadership guy? I'm looking him right in the face, can't think of his name. Maxwell, that's a Maxwell quote. John Maxwell said that. You can't change your life without effectively changing something you do on a daily basis. Well, you say, that sounds good, Pastor Mark. You know, I'm not asking you to raise your hand this morning, but I guarantee there's some folks in here that would like to see some change in their lives, some change in your family, some change in your finances, some change in, 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 in this. But see, what you don't realize is the level that you're currently living at is being influenced you know, tremendously by your daily routine. Your daily routine is what gives you that false sense of being in charge. Control. So we consider any change to our daily routine as risky. Any change to the way we handle uh, our finances as threatening. Because after all, we've got it all worked out and if this happens and as long as this doesn't break and so forth and so on. And, and, and the whole idea of, of honoring God with a tithe, the whole idea of giving God more this year than we gave Him last year, all these other things. See, again, you're, you're, you're trying to mess with our system. You're trying to... you, you know, it, it, we, we view it as, as a threat to our stability. Amen. But see, what you don't understand is included in that quote-unquote stability that you've worked so hard to achieve is a prison now that you can't break free from because you won't let God take you down a pathway you've never been before. God wants to show you a way to manage your finances in 2018 that you've never, a way that you've never managed them before, a way of doing money that you've never done money like this before. Why did the children of Israel want to go back to Egypt? And not only did they want to go back to Egypt, they romanticized how it was in Egypt. In other words, they talked about the good old days in Egypt. They said, man, we had it so good in Egypt, we sat around the flesh pots and and boy, the laughs and the good times that we had. The flesh, You know what that was? That was the guts. That was the cast off of what the Egyptians wouldn't eat. It was sent to them, the internal organs of the animal to try to figure out how to to cook these things, right? See, we figured out how to take pork ribs in, in southern United States of America and make them a delicacy. The slaves figured out how to make pork ribs a delicacy because the ribs were the part that the plantation owners didn't want to eat. Are you understand what I'm saying here? All these cuts of meat that were too fat, too tough, whatever... They've become the, the backbone of American barbecue now. Right? And so it was the same in Egypt. Thank you for that amen back there, Pastor. I guess a fellow rib lover. i Are you understand, are you following what I'm saying here? So they're talking about, man, we're out here in the, in the middle of nowhere. God brought us out here to kill us, and we had it so good in Egypt. Why did we why did we ever leave Egypt? Let's just go ahead and assassinate Moses and let's let's uh, you know, bring a, get another leader now who's going to take us back to where we came from. See, God was leading them in a path that they had never been down before. So by virtue of that, guess what? It was an unknown to them. And if something is an unknown and you're going to walk down an unknown path, it's going to require some trust on your part, See? You've got to trust somebody who's leading you down a pathway you've never been before. And they're saying, I'm taking you somewhere better. And I'm taking you down a path you've never been. And I need you to trust me right now. And that first generation of slaves out of Egypt, they said, "Uh, we'd rather not, Father. So let's go back to Egypt. Well, going back to Egypt was not an option. So what did they do? they walked around the same mountain for 40 years. Now think about that. Is there a more grand example of trying to establish a pattern, a routine so that you can feel like you're in control of something than that? Amen. Amen. Don't you want to know what kind of life's on the other side of that wall you keep hitting? Don't you want to know what kind of life's on the other side of the River Jordan? Don't you want to know what your finances would look like a year from now if you honored God with them? Don't you, aren't you curious, at least curious, to know if there's something better? Everything in you tells you that there is. Everything in you tells you when you hear messages like this that there's something more out there for you to lay hold of. Seems like just beyond your grasp. Why does it seem to be just beyond your grasp? Because this routine that you've established in your life that says... This is the way we're going to live. This is what we're going to do. This is what we're... some of you have it so so down pat that you already know what you're going to eat for supper on Tuesdays, right? Tacos on Tuesdays, little Caesar's pizza before church on Wednesdays. We already know, right? I mean, it's just right. Because of our schedule on Wednesdays, I can can just about tell you one of three meals that's going to be waiting for me when I get home from church. It's what Pam does on Wednesdays. That's what I'm saying. I'm I'm not trying to ridicule that, but I'm trying to get you to see the bigger picture involved in that. Is we get locked into this way of doing it, this routine. And God is trying to call us to something better, to a higher place, but we don't want Him to upset our routine. We want the better, but we want the the, the sense of you know we we're controlling this. We 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 got this you know figured out. Is, is Taco Tuesday really figuring life out though? I mean, you see what I'm saying? I mean, you know, we, that ain't, that ain't, that's not that's that's not the answering the bigger questions here of life. <laughs> Amen. Come to ourselves, right? Oh, sweet Jesus, where does the time go? I want to read a passage to you from Matthew 13, then I'll call the singers up, okay? This is from the message translation. Matthew chapter 13, and I'll put it on the board, beginning at verse 12. Jesus speaking, He says, when, whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understanding flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories to create readiness, to nudge the people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it, listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. Wow, singers and musicians, if you would come, please. What is he saying here? Well, Jesus got through just got through telling what he called a master key parable. The one parable that they had to understand in order to understand all of the parables. And afterwards, the disciples asked him, they said, Jesus, why are you telling these stories? Because they had already begun to see that there was so much more wisdom and insight... He was wanting, I think it kind of went like this. I believe that, that the disciples were wanting Jesus to really impress the people. He was being accused of being, you know, all these things and ignorant and this and that, you know. And so they wanted Jesus just to blast them with some deep insight and wisdom. Jesus kept telling stories about a man planting seeds. Jesus said, I'm telling stories to try to create readiness. I'm telling simple stories in hopes that people will listen to that simple story and say, wow, there's something more going on here than I've ever understood. Maybe I need to look into this a little more closely. Now what's happening? A readiness of heart, a receptivity, a willingness to do what the Bereans did. Do you realize the most qualified people on planet earth to receive and recognize Jesus for who he really was were the religious leaders, the very ones who rejected him? They knew all the prophecies. But notice their attitude said, you're not going to come in here and mess up what we got going on, big guy. You're not going to come in here. This is our livelihood. We make our living doing this. You're not going to come in here and turn all these people to a different way of believing. They fought to maintain the routine because they wanted to maintain control. We do it on a much smaller scale, but we still do, still have the same attitude. Jesus said, I tell stories because I'm trying to nudge people towards being more receptive because until they're receptive, they can listen and stare at this till they're blue in the face and they'll never see it. They'll never see it. I had a meeting um, this week, and Brother Jackie Gann was in that meeting, and he kept using an expression, I shared this in class this morning, he kept talking about how the Lord was showing him some things in his life, and he said, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. That's pretty good, isn't it? He said, "I I didn't know what I didn't know. But now, what is he saying? He's like, now that I know what I didn't know, wow. I'm very thankful for what we know. But I think we also need to ask ourselves this question. What is it that we still don't know? And could it be that in the pile of stuff that we don't know are the answers that we desperately need? Amen. Stand with me this morning. Fathers, I stand before these men and women and those that will be listening to this later, Lord, through different media outlets. My simple prayer, Father, is for a ready heart. Lord, readiness of heart. Father, that we would humble ourselves and and say before you that we're very thankful for the answers that we have, but we also recognize that there's still a, a whole lot of things that we don't know. And Father help us realize that because we don't know that we don't know those things, we can tend to think that we know all that we need to know and that's simply not the case. So Father, as we lean into you like never before, as we look at our lives, our routine, our daily schedules, Father, may may we begin to examine it and say, what do we need to do different? What do we need to change? How can we alter? our our daily and weekly routine in a way father that provides more opportunity and more time for you to speak to us to direct us Lord ultimately for us to know you more and to know you better father new year's resolutions are one thing but new life resolutions are something different altogether Help us, Lord, to understand the kind of resolutions that we need to make in light of the new life we've received. And that like Paul, Father, our attitude would be to lay hold of that for which you have laid hold of us. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want us to sing together before we dismiss this morning. If you're here today and you'd like for someone to pray with you, we'd be more than happy to to meet you here at this altar and pray with you this morning. You don't have to be a member of this church or join this church or anything like that for somebody to love you here and somebody to help you here, amen. You may be here for the first time this morning, but I'm telling you, you're amongst friends. You're amongst friends. Somebody told me that Pastor Chris Hodges, the pastor at Church of the Highlands, that he frequently makes a statement. He says to people who are new to the church. He said, give God a year. He said, really get plugged in, really get committed, and give God a year to change your life. And he said, if you do that, and a year later, your life's not changed, he said, I'll leave with you. We'll we'll both leave the church together. In other words, that, that he would not have been doing his job as a pastor. we've given ourselves to so many things let's give ourselves to him this year amen let's see what he can do with every second that we give him let's come together ready to hear something we've never heard before ready to search the scriptures for ourselves to see if it's true ready to begin to walk that out in a different routine, different way of going about life on a daily basis. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together. Praise God.